Chapter Seven of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Oldham. The Siege of Arcot from Conjeveran to Arcot is twenty-seven miles, and the troops, in spite of a delay caused by a tremendous storm of thunder and lightning, reached the town in two days. The garrison struck with panic at the sudden coming of a foe when they deemed themselves in absolute security at once abandoned the fort which they might easily have maintained until chunder sahib was able to send a force to relieve it the city was incapable of defence after the fort had been abandoned and clive took possession of both without firing a shot he at once set to work to store up provisions in the fort in which he found eight guns and an abundance of ammunition as he foresaw the likelihood of his having to stand a siege there and then leaving a garrison to defend it in his absence marched on the fourth of september with the rest of his forces against the enemy who had retired from the town to the mud fort of timari six miles south of arcot after a few discharges with their cannon they retired hastily and clive marched back to arcot two days later however he found that they had been reinforced and as their position threatened his line of communications he again advanced towards them he found the enemy about two thousand strong drawn up in a grove under cover of the guns of the fort the grove was enclosed by a bank in a ditch and some fifty yards away was a dry tank enclosed by a bank higher than that which surrounded the grove in this the enemy could retire when dislodged from their first position charlie's heart beat fast when he heard the order given to advance the enemy outnumbered them by five to one and were in a strong position as the english advanced the enemy's two field pieces opened upon them only three men were killed and led by their officers the men went at the grove at the double the enemy at once evacuated it and took refuge in the tank from behind whose high bank they opened fire upon the english clive at once divided his men into two columns and sent them round to attack the tank upon two sides the movement was completely successful at the same moment the men went with a rush at the banks and upon reaching the top opened a heavy fire upon the crowded mass within these at once fled in disorder clive then summoned the fort to surrender but the commander seeing that clive had no battering train refused to do so and clive fell back upon arcot again until his eighteen pounders should arrive for the next eight days the troops were engaged in throwing up defences and strengthening and victualling the fort the enemy gained confidence gathered to the number of three thousand and encamped three miles from the town proclaiming that they were about to besiege and at midnight on the fourteenth clive sallied out took them by surprise and dispersed them the two eighteen-pounders for which clyde had sent to madras were now well upon the road under the protection of a small body of sepoys and were approaching conjeveran the enemy sent considerable body of troops to cut off the guns and clive found that the small number which he had sent out 
to meet the approaching party would not be sufficient. He therefore resolved to take the whole force, leaving only sufficient to garrison the fort. The post which the enemy occupied was a temple near Conjerian, and as this was twenty-seven miles distance, the force would be obliged to be absent for at least two days, as it would probably be attacked and might have to fight hard he decided on leaving only thirty Europeans and fifty sepoys within the fort. He appointed Dr. Ray to the command of the post during his absence and placed Charlie and Peters under his orders. I wonder whether they will have any fighting, Charlie said, as the three officers looked from the walls of the fort after the departing force. I wish we had gone with them, Peters put in, but it will be a long march in the heat. I should think, Dr. Ray said, that they are sure to have fighting. I only hope they may not be attacked at night. The men are very young and inexperienced, and there is nothing tries new soldiers so much as a night attack. However, from what I hear of their own wars, I believe that night attacks are rare among them. I don't know that they have any superstition on the subject, as some African people have on the ground that evil spirits are about at night, but the natives are certainly not brisk after nightfall. They are extremely susceptible to any fall of temperature, and as you have, of course, noticed, sleep with their heads covered completely up. However, we must keep a sharp look at here tonight. You don't think that we are likely to be attacked, sir, do you? It is possible we may be, the doctor said. They will know that Captain Clive has set out from here with the main body and has left only a small garrison. Of course they have spies, and will know that there are only 80 men here, a number insufficient to defend one side of this fort, to say nothing of the whole circle of the walls. They have already found out that the English can fight in the open, and their experience at Timori will make them shy of meeting us again. Therefore, it is just possible that they may be marching in this direction today while Clive is going in the other, and that they may intend carrying it with a rush. I should say, today let the men repose as much as possible. Keep the sentries on the gates and walls, but otherwise let them all have absolute quiet. You can tell the whites, and I will let the sepoys know that they will have to be in readiness all night, and that they had better, therefore, sleep as much as possible today. We will take it by turns to be on duty, one going round the walls and seeing that the sentries are vigilant, while the others sit in the shade and doze off, if they can. We must all three keep on the alert during the night. Dr. Ray said that he, himself, would see that all went well for the first four hours, after which Charlie should go on duty, and the two subalterns accordingly made themselves as comfortable as they could in their quarters, which were high up in the fort and possessed a window looking over the surrounding country. Well, Tim, what is the matter with you? they asked that soldier as he came in with an earthenware jar of water which he placed to cool in the window. You look pale, and it's pale, I feel, Your Honor with the life frightened fairly out of me a dozen times a day it was bad enough on the march but this place just swarms with horrible reptiles sure and it's a pity that the holy saint patrick 
didn't find time to pay a visit to india if he'd driven the varmint into the sea for them as he did in ireland the whole population would have become christians out of pure gratitude why your honour in the cracks and crevices of the stones of this old place there are bushels and bushels of them there are things they call centipedes with a million legs on each side of them and horns big enough to frighten you of all sizes up to as long as my hand and as thick as my finger and they say that a bite from one of them will put a man in a raging fever and maybe kill him then there are scorpions the savaged looking little bests ye ever saw for all the world like a little lobster with his tail turned over his back and a sting at the end of it then there's spiders some of them nigh as big as a cat oh nonsense tim charlie said i don't think from what i've heard that there's a spider in india whose body is as big as a mouse it isn't their body your honour it's their legs they they're just cruel to look at it was one of em that gave me a turn a while ago i was just lying on my bed smoking my pipe when i saw one of the creatures as big as a saucer i'll take my oath walking towards me with his wicked eye fixed full on me i jumped off the bed and on to a bench that stood near by what are ye yelling about tim kelly said corporal jones to me he hears a riotous beast here corporal says i that mediating an attack on me put your foot on it man says he it's mighty fine says i and i'm in my bare feet so the corporal tells pat murphy my right-hand man to tackle the beast i could see pat didn't like the job either your honor he's not the boy to shrink from his duty so he comes and he takes post on the form by my side and just when the creature is making up his mind to charge us both pat jumps down upon him and squelch it sure your honor the sight of such beasts is enough to turn a christian man's blood the spider had no idea of attacking you kelly peter said laughing it might possibly bite you in the night though i do not think it would do so or if you took it up in your fingers the saints to find us your honor i'd as soon think of taking a tiger by the tail the corporal he's an englishman and lives in a country where they got snakes and reptiles but it's hard on an irish boy decently brought up within ten mile of cork's own town to be exposed to the like and do you know your honor when i went out into the town yesterday what should i see but a man sitting down against a wall with a little bit of a flute in his hand and a basket by his side well your honor i thought maybe he was going to play a tune when he lifts up the top of the basket and then began to play you may call it music your honor but there was neither tune nor music to it then all of a sudden two serpents in the basket lift up their heads with a great ear hanging down on each side and began to wave themselves about well tim what happened then charlie asked struggling with his laughter sure it's little i know what happened after for i just took to my heels and i never drew breath till i was inside the gates there was nothing to be frightened at tim charlie said it was a snake charmer i have never seen one yet but there are numbers of them all over india those were not ears you saw but the hood the snakes liked the music and waved their heads about in time to it 
I believe that, although they are very poisonous snake, and their bite is certain death, there is no need to be afraid of them, as the charmers draw out their poison fangs when they catch them. Do they now? Tim said in admiration. I wonder what the regimental barber would say to a job like that now. How well nigh broke Dan Sullivan's joy yesterday in getting out a big tooth and then swore at the poor boy for having such a powerful strong jaw i should like to see his face if he was asked to pull out a tooth from one of them dancing serpents i brought ye in some fruits your honours i don't know what they are but you may trust me they're not poison i stopped for half an hour beside the stall till i saw some of the people of the country buying and eating them so then i judged they were safe for your honours now, Tim, you'd better go and lie down and get asleep, if the spiders will let you, for you will have to be under arms all night, as it is possible that we may be attacked. The first part of the night passed quietly. Double sentries were placed at each of the angles of the walls. The cannons were loaded and all ready for instant action. Dr. Ray and his two subalterns were upon the alight, visiting the post every quarter of an hour to see that the men were vigilant. Towards two o'clock a dull sound was heard, and although nothing could be seen, the men were at once called to arms, and took up the post to which they had already been told off on the walls. The noise continued. It was slight and confused, but the natives are so quiet in their movements that the doctor did not doubt that a considerable body of men were surrounding the place and that he was about to be attacked presently one of the sentries over the gateway perceived something approaching he challenged and immediately afterwards fired the sound of his gun seemed to serve as the signal for an assault and a large body of men rushed forward at the gate while at two other points a force ran up to the foot of the walls and endeavoured to plant ladders the garrison at once collected at the points of attack few sentries only being left at intervals on the wall to give notice should any attempt be made elsewhere from the walls a heavy fire of musketry was poured upon the masses below while from the windows of all the houses around answering flashes of fire shot out a rain of bullets being directed at the battlements dr ray himself commanded at the gate one of the subalterns at each of the other points assailed the enemy fought with great determination several times the ladders were planted and the men swarmed up them but as often these were hurled back upon the crowd below at the gate the assailants endeavoured to hew their way with axes through it but so steady was the fire directed from the loopholes which commanded it upon those so engaged that they were each time forced to recoil with great slaughter it was not until nearly daybreak that the attack ceased and the assailants finding that they could not carry the place by a coup de main fell back the next day the main body of the british force returned with the convoy news arrived the following day that the enemy was approaching to lay siege to the place the news of the capture of arcot had produced the effect which clyde had anticipated from it it alarmed and irritated the besiegers of Trichinopoli, and inspired the besieged with hope and exultation. The Maharatta chief 
of gutty and the rajah of mysore with whom muhammad ali had for some time been negotiating at once declared in his favour the rajah of tanjore and the chief of podikata adjoining that state who had hitherto remained strictly neutral now threw in their fortunes with the english and thereby secured the communications between trichinopoly and the coast chunda sahib determined to lose not a moment in recovering arcot knowing that its recapture would at once cool the ardour of the new native allies of the english and that with its capture the last hope of besieged in trichinopoly would be at an end continuing the siege he dispatched three thousand of his best troops with a hundred and fifty frenchmen to reinforce the two thousand men already near arcot under the command of his son riza sahib thus the force about to attack arcot amounted to five thousand men while the garrison under clive's orders had by the losses in the defence of the fort by fever and disease been reduced to one hundred and twenty europeans and two hundred sepoys while four out of the eight officers were hors de combat the fort which this handful of men had to defend was in no way capable of offering a prolonged resistance its walls were more than a mile in circumference and were in a very bad state of repair the rampart was narrow and the parapet low and the ditch in many places dry the fort had two gates these were in towers standing beyond the ditch and connected with the interior by a causeway across it the houses in the town in many places came close up to the walls and from their roofs the ramparts of the forts were commanded on the twenty third september riza sahib with his army took up his position before arcot the guns had not however arrived with the exception of four mortars but they at once occupied all the houses near the fort and from the walls and upper windows kept up a heavy fire on the besieged clive determined to make an effort at once to drive them from this position and he accordingly on the same afternoon made a sortie so deadly a fire however was poured into the troops as they advanced that they were unable to make any way and were forced to retreat into the fort again after suffering heavy loss on the night of the twenty fourth charlie marriott with twenty men carrying powder were lowered from the walls and an attempt was made to blow up the houses nearest to them but little damage was done for the enemy were on the alert and they were unable to place the powder in effective positions and with a loss of ten of their number the survivors with difficulty regained the fort for the next three weeks the position remained unchanged so heavy was the fire which the enemy from their commanding position maintained that no one could show his head for a moment without running the risk of being shot only a few sentinels were kept upon the walls to prevent the risk of surprise and these had to remain stooping below the parapet every day added to the losses captain clive had a series of wonderful escapes and indeed the men began to regard him with a sort of superstitious reverence believing that he had a charmed life one of his three remaining officers seeing an enemy taking deliberate aim at him through a window 
endeavoured to pull him aside. The native changed his aim, and the other officer fell dead. On three other occasions, sergeants who accompanied him on his rounds were shot dead by his side, yet no ball touched him. Provisions had been stored in the fort before the commencement of the siege, sufficient for sixty days, and of this a third was already exhausted when, on the 14th of October, the French troops, serving with Riza Sahib, received two eighteen-pounders and seven smaller pieces of artillery. Hitherto the besiegers had contented themselves with harassing the garrison night and day, abstaining from any attack which would cost them lives. Upon arrival of their guns, upon receiving these, they at once placed them in a battery, which they had prepared on the northwest of the fort and opened fire. So well was this battery placed, and so accurate the aim of its gunner, that the very first shot dismounted one of the eighteen pounders in the fort. The second again struck the gun and completely disabled it. The besieged mounted their second heavy gun in its place and were prepared to open fire on the French battery when a shot struck it also and dismounted it. It was useless to attempt to replace it, and it was during the night removed to a portion of the walls not exposed to the fire of the enemy's battery. The besiegers continued their fire, and in six days had demolished the wall facing their battery, making a breach of fifty feet wide. Clive, who had now only the two young subalterns serving under him, worked indefatigably. His coolness and confidence of bearing kept up the courage of his little garrison, and every night when darkness hid them from the view of the enemy sharpshooters, the men labored to prepare for the impending attack. Works were thrown up inside the port to command the breach. Two deep trenches were dug, one behind the other, the one close to the wall, the other some distance further back. These trenches were filled with sharp iron three-point spikes, and palisades erected extending from the ends of the ditches to the ramparts, and a house pulled down in the rear to the height of a breastwork, behind which the garrison could fire at the assailants as they endeavored across the ditches. One of the three field pieces Clive had brought with him he mounted on a tower, flanking the breach outside. Two he held in reserve, and placed two small guns which he had found in the fort when he took it on the flat roof of a house in the fort commanding the inside of the breach. From the roofs of some of the houses around the fort, the besiegers beheld the progress of these defenses, and Riza Sahib feared, in spite of his enormously superior numbers, to run the risk of a repulse. He knew that the amount of provisions which Clive had stored was not large, and thinking that famine would inevitably compel his surrender, shrank from incurring the risk of disheartening his army by the slaughter which an unsuccessful attempt to carry the place must entail. He determined at any rate to increase the probability of success and utilize his superior forces by making an assault at two points simultaneously. He therefore erected a battery on the southwest and began to effect a breach on that side also. Clive, on his part, had been busy endeavoring to obtain assistance. 
his native emissaries penetrating the enemy lines carried the news of the situation of affairs in the fort to madras fort st david and trichinopoli at madras a few fresh troops had arrived from england and mr saunders feeling that clive must be relieved at all costs however defenceless the state of madras might be dispatched on the twentieth of october a hundred europeans and a hundred sepoys under lieutenant innes these after three days marching arrived at trivatur twenty-two miles from arcot riza sahib had heard of his approach and sent a large body of troops with two guns to attack them the contest was too unequal had the british force been provided with field pieces they might have gained the day but after fighting with great bravery they were forced to fall back with a loss of twenty english and two officers killed and many more wounded while the sepoys suffered equally severely one of clive's messengers reached moriri rio the mahratta chief of guti this man was a ferocious free-booting chief daring and brave himself and admiring those qualities in others hitherto his alliance with muhammad ali was little more than nominal for he had dreaded bringing upon himself the vengeance of chandra sahib and the french whose ultimate success in the strife appeared certain clive's march upon arcot and the heroic defence which the handful of men there were opposing to overwhelming numbers excited his highest admiration as he afterwards said he had never before believed that the english could fight and when clive's messenger reached him he had once set back a promise of insistence riza sahib learned almost as soon as clive himself that the mahrattas were on the move the prospect of his communications being harassed by these daring horsemen filled him with anxiety morari rio was encamped with six thousand men at a spot thirty miles to the west of arcot and he might at any moment swoop down upon the besiegers although therefore riza sahib had for six days been at work effecting a new breach which was now nearly open to assault he sent on the thirtieth of october a flag of truce with an offer to clive of terms if he would surrender arcot the garrison were to be allowed to march out with their arms and baggage while to clive himself he offered a large sum of money in case of refusal he threatened to storm the fort and put all its defenders to the sword clive returned a defiant refusal and the guns again opened on the second breach on the ninth of november the mahrattas began to show themselves in the neighbourhood of the besieging army the force under lieutenant innes had been reinforced and was now under the command of captain kilpatrick who had a hundred and fifty english troops with four field guns this was now advancing four days later the new breach had attained a width of thirty yards but clive had prepared defences in the rear similar to those at the other breach and the difficulties of the besiegers would here be much greater as the ditch was not fordable 
the fifty days which the seed had lasted had been terrible ones for the garrison never daring to expose themselves unnecessarily during the day and yet ever on the alert to repel an attack laboring at night at the defences with their numbers daily dwindling and the prospect of an assault becoming more and more imminent the work of the little garrison was terrible and it is to the defences of lucknow and cawnpore a hundred years later that we must look to find a parallel in english warfare for their endurance and bravery both charlie marriott and peters had been wounded but in neither case were the injuries severe enough to prevent their continuing on duty tim kelly had his arm broken by a ball while another bullet cut a deep seam along his cheek and carried away a portion of his ear with his arm in splints and a sling and the side of his face covered with strappings and plaster he still went about his business ah your honours he said one day to his masters i've often been out catching rabbits with ferrets to drive em out of their holes and sticks to knock em on the head but as soon as they showed themselves and it's a devarsham i was always mighty fond of but i never quite interred into the feelings of the rabbits now i understand them completely for ain't we rabbits ourselves the officers saving your presence are the ferrets who turn us out of our holes on duty and the niggers yonder with their muskets and their matchlocks are the men with sticks ready to knock us on the head directly we show ourselves if it plays heaven that i ever return to this old country again i never lend a hand at rabbiting to my dying day End of chapter seven